Welcome to the very first episode of Perfectly Average, the perfect podcast about perfectly average movies. My name is Zach Leslie, and I'm joined by my co-host, uh, Austin Garrett. Austin, how you doing, man? Good. How are you, brother? Doing well. Excited to talk movies with you. We've talked about doing a podcast for like a good like year and a half, probably, whether it be about basketball or movies or whatever. Anything. So this is good. Yeah. <laughs> this is good to finally to finally sit down and do this. It's really fun. Yeah, absolutely. So this podcast, I pitched you this idea. This podcast is all about talking about average movies. And that's not the sexy thing to do, but I feel like in a world where everything is so hot or cold or left or right, there's room to talk about the things that land in the middle. The things yeah. that are just okay, that are fine, that are inoffensive and have their fun moments. So I'm excited to talk about a lot of these movies with you. Uh, some of these movies have a lot of behind-the-scenes drama. Some of them don't. Uh, some of them have production issues and flopped at the box office. Some of them will probably be big hits at the box office, things like that. So I'm excited to talk about these pretty average movies with you. And do you kind of want to explain how, we, how we're how we going about picking these movies? So, like, in the, in the general landscape of film or movie podcasts, you know, they talk about, you know, there are a lot of podcasts about great movies, and yep. uh, the podcast sometimes will focus on the movies that are awful. Uh, we wanted to intentionally hit the area that no one's talking about. We want to talk about the movies in the middle. And so we looked at a couple different criteria of how we would choose movies. We didn't want to really use Rotten Tomatoes. Oh. Uh, the more we got into it, Cinema Score wasn't super helpful. Uh, so we kind of landed on movies on Letterboxd. Uh, yeah. that if you don't have, have that app, if you don't have it, I'd recommend downloading it. It's a cool resource for movie fans. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we we decided to land on movies around the three star mark, at three yeah. out of five stars. Um, and so yeah. hopefully, hopefully we still get some movies that have some quality to them, but you know. They'll be a little dramatic, a little chaotic. Yeah, and the movie we're talking about today um, is one that I think most people will recognize. I don't know if everyone will have seen it in theaters. The box office would say that a lot of people did not see it in theaters. But uh, I think it's it's a movie that's important to talk about and one I feel like is kind of gone under the radar as uh, time has gone on. Uh, and this movie is Solo, a Star Wars story. Now, Solo, a Star Wars story is currently carrying a 3.1 out of 5 stars on Letterboxd. So, pretty much fits the criteria that we were looking for. Yeah. And we both, I think, are pretty big Star Wars fans, um, or at least enjoy watching Star Wars. So, this felt like a good movie to open up the podcast with, and we're just kind of kind of just dive deep into Solo and how we feel about it and those kind of things. Um, so yeah, we're excited about this podcast and uh, what's going to come and the movies we're going to talk about. But today is all about Solo, a Star Wars story, and we're excited to bring that to you. Absolutely. So Solo was announced in 2015. Uh, it was one of the first movies I feel like uh, that got announced in the Disney era. Like, yeah, we had The Force Awakens, we had Episode 7, and then there was like the Boba Fett solo movie, the Kenobi solo movie, and Solo, a Star Wars, like the solo movie, I think, were like the three spinoffs, and Rogue One, obviously. 
were the spinoffs I remember four or five years ago now that were the ones that got announced. So what was your feeling when you heard that they were doing a solo movie? And were you excited? Were, were you like not asking for it? <laughs> I was excited. You know, I one of my favorite parts of the original trilogy was just the the character Han Solo. I thought he had a lot of depth to him. Uh, and so when they announced that they were going to do a movie about it, I was stoked. You know, you get Han and Chewie and you have uh, the possibility of uh, going back into his relationship uh, with yeah. Lando. And uh, so I was I was super excited. Uh, I did find one thing uh, while I was doing some prep for today's podcast. Did you yeah. know that uh, in 2012, uh, George Lucas actually started the process of developing a Han Solo TV series. I did not know that. That's it pretty interesting. It would have been like the original Mandalorian, which, you know, with the success of Mandalorian, I don't want to make this Mandalorian podcast, yeah, but yeah. with the success of Mandalorian, I, George Lucas was like seven to eight years too early. Yeah, he was. I think this would have been unbelievable as a, as a series, you know? I think we'll probably talk about this more later, but I, I do think it's still ripe for a good TV series. Um, oh, absolutely. So this I have the I have a BBC article pulled up right now, and it says that uh, this is from 2015. Uh, it says a Star Wars spinoff film will tell the backstory of space smuggler Han Solo. Disney has announced the new movie is set to be directed by Chris Miller and Phil Lord, the men behind the hugely successful Lego movie. We'll talk about that in just a moment. <laughs> uh, the charismatic criminal turned rebellion hero returns in Star Wars next installment, The Force Awakens, this Christmas. Uh, no details or casting have yet been announced, but the script will be written by father and son team Lawrence and John Kasdan. And that was the announcement from BBC. I'm sure there are others, Hollywood Reporter, Variety, that had similar articles. Uh, but to kind of jump off that Lord and Miller thing, that they were fired later in 2017 from the project. Yep. And it wasn't a, uh, I don't know how to put this, a delicate breakup. It was not uh, amicable at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. No. We don't have a ton of details of exactly what happened. But it seems like Lord and Miller were trying to make a movie with a similar tone, like kind of like Lego movie and like the meta, the meta humor, like the, the comedy of it kind of going to be at the front. Party. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like Kathleen Kennedy at the time was willing to take that risk on one of their first movies. Yeah. So they fired in 2017, and then probably the safest choice they could possibly find, <laughs> uh, Ron Howard was brought in to fix a movie uh, in 2017 as well. And Ron Howard has done a lot, um, directed a lot of movies. Uh, one of my favorites from him is uh, his Beatles documentary about the touring years, Ooh. and it's a great one. Uh, and Ron Howard was brought in to save the movie, and some would argue he did. I think he did a pretty good job. Uh, but this movie just had a ton and a ton and a ton of drama heading up to its release in May of 2018. To set the stage for May of 2018, I think it's important to look at the movie landscape as a whole in 2018. Mm. Uh, Avengers Infinity War had just come out. Like, oh, the movie shoot. event yeah. of the year <laughs> had just come out. Like, yeah. three weeks before this movie did come out. And... I think that did have an impact on this movie. Uh, I, honestly, uh, Deadpool 2 also came out around the same time. 
And the other, and just the other thing that I think affected it was Disney, or yeah, Disney had done such a a good job of uh, eventizing the December Star Wars release yeah. schedule, yeah. and so to have it come out in May uh, to the casual fan, you know, sure. that's not when they're expecting it, but. Yeah, and we also, The Last Jedi had just come out in December, and obviously there's oh, a lot of controversy with that, and I feel like maybe there was some fatigue that was starting to set in, there was some, oh, here we go, another Star Wars movie six months after the one we just got that was pretty divisive, uh, and those kind of things. And I think this movie would have been perfect if it would have been made for $50 million. Yeah. <laughs> However, <laughs> this is not the case. This, this, is this number most, is still baffling to me. It's one I, I read that it's one of the most expensive movies that has ever been made. $275 million production budget. Oh, my gosh. That's not That doesn't even include marketing dollars. Yeah, it's and, just to get the movie made. And they didn't even start the marketing campaign until the Super Bowl, which yeah. was like three months before the movie came out. So... Yeah. It, it, there's just no way this yeah we have it here on our notes that it, disney lost 50 million dollars on the movie which i can't even i can't even begin to, when you watch it you're like there's no way this needed 275 million dollars no but obviously a lot of that has to do with changing directors and crew and all that kind of stuff yeah but if this movie would have only been made for like 50 million dollars and made 400 million dollars like it did i feel like that would have been a slam dunk for, yeah. for disney you know yeah uh, absolutely but opening weekend, it made 80, $84 million, um, lowest since Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. I don't think that number is super surprising, to be honest. That's about what I expected, even kind of before the drama. Yeah. Um, Rogue One obviously did well, but I feel like that had a lot to do with we have new Star Wars movies again. Yeah, and it hit early in that cycle. You know, it was only yeah. the second movie. Yeah, and this was the fourth, so you kind of have a little more fatigue. Mm-hmm. So this movie opened $84 million. Well, what did people think of it? Well, critics sitting at 70% on Rotten Tomatoes. That doesn't mean that it's a 7 out of 10. That means 70% of the critics gave it a fresh score. And the average critic score uh, was 6.42 out of 10 on there. So, so not pretty, great. It's not, <laughs> so not great. Very uh perfectly average as we would say yeah um and here's here are some of the reviews uh it says this is from ty burr of the boston globe as a b movie solo delivers sometimes in a way that reminds the viewer of this franchise roots and classic saturday matinee adventure serials and sometimes simply as a proficient dutiful time passing entertainment Mm. one of the light this is from richard roper of the chicago sometimes one of the lighter of the star wars adventures it's entertaining as heck, but not particularly deep. And there there are a couple negative ones. Austin, do you want to share those? Yeah, so they say, uh, this is Justin Chang from the LA Times. Aaron Rich uh, hasn't, filled, hasn't failed Solo, a Star Wars story. The truth, I dare say, is exactly the opposite. So saying Star Wars failed him. Yep. Uh, kind of negative. And then Peter Travers from Rolling Stone said, Howard and the Kasdan's uh, play the series game without ever, without ever raising the stakes, defaulting to dull and dutiful when they might have blasted off in, into creative anarchy. Uh, so they 
overall the movie is just kind of uh, atta- I don't know attacked by critics for playing it safe. Um, yep. I mean that's one of the biggest uh, most common critiques of the movie is it it played played it safe. It was uh, fairly predictable. Um, I would say that's probably my biggest criticism of it. Yeah. Um, so I don't think these critics are, are far off here on the positive or the negative side. Yeah, no. uh, the the audience, uh, su- kind of surprising to me because we were going to use cinema score as our criteria because we're big cinema score people. Yeah. And it got an A minus cinema score. Yeah, that was a, super surprising. A pretty decent cinema score. Um, I, I would say if you have a cinema score that's B plus or lower, like you're drifting into like, oh, that's not very good kind of range. Um, but A minus, I still think is a pretty decent cinema score, um, for this movie, especially when you look at the audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which we do not, uh, support or <laughs> lift up the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. It is a 63% for what it's worth, but we don't, we do not think it's worth very much. Um, and then as we mentioned earlier, it's three and a point one out of five stars on Letterboxd. Um, so the audience had a pretty, I would say, pretty similar reaction to it that the critics did. Uh, pretty good, but not great. Yeah. Um, a fun well, time. And even if you just look at the scores across the board, I mean, 70% on Rotten Tomatoes, 64.2, or 6.42 out of 10, 63%, uh, 3.1 out of 5. It's all, it's it's all, all about 60%. The same, yeah, it's yeah. all in that 60 to 70% range. Um, I mean, you could round down... 6.4 at, at 6.42 rounds down to 6, 63% yeah. rounds down to 60, 3.1 rounds down to 3. So I mean it's all pretty much in the same yeah the same kind of area. Yeah. So that's kind of how the critics and the audience feel about it. And we are two audience members who do not have film degrees who just like talking <laughs> about movies. And I feel like I should say that we're not experts um, at all when it comes to movies. We just like watching movies and talking about movies. Yeah. So Austin when, did you first of all did you see this movie in theaters i i planned to see this movie in theaters uh but i just never got around to seeing it in theaters yeah. uh yeah, it was one that i was looking forward to especially when they announced the cast yeah great cast oh incredible cast and so i was you know i was ready and i just didn't get around did you see it in theater yeah so i saw opening night okay. and i saw it in Knoxville, I okay. saw it at the uh, the Pinnacle, and cool. I was honestly a little shocked about how full the theater was because I had heard about the the presale tickets and I had heard about you know obviously the director drama, so I didn't know what the atmosphere was going to be like, and it was honestly a lively atmosphere. There was cheering, clap, like it felt like going to a Star Wars movie. Oh, that's cool. Which may have affected my enjoyment of the movie, but it was a very cool atmosphere and one that I was certainly not expecting. Um, so yes, I saw this, but I only saw it once in theaters. It's the only Star Wars movie I have seen just once in theaters of the new of the new batch. And I'll tell you why it falls into the perfectly average. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I've even seen Rise of Skywalker twice, and I think I like that one a little less than this one. Um, but yeah, so I got to see it in theaters. So when did you get to see it When if you didn't see it in theaters? So if it came out in, what, May of... May 2018. Uh, 2018. I probably saw it around, for the first time probably October or, or November of 18. Because it hit Netflix pretty fast, I feel like. 
it hit Netflix really fast. Uh, so, you know, I, I obviously sat down to watch it, and and I hate to admit it, but I started it, uh, this was back in my college days, I probably started it at midnight, uh, yep. and so I fell asleep <laughs> during, yeah, no, during the first time I watched because, you know, I mean, we can get into this later, but, you know, the, the movie starts fairly slow, um, yeah. and so I, I passed out uh, mm. watching it, but... Uh, first time watching through it, you know, it definitely didn't have the theater effect. You know, I wish, sure. I wish this this one would have been one that was more fun to watch in theaters for sure. Yeah. So I've seen it in total probably four times. I want to say. Okay. Uh, I watched it during my rewatch leading up to the Rise of Skywalker. And I watched it on Netflix a couple times, uh, just by myself, chilling, whatever. And I would, my opinions probably line up pretty close with what the critics and the audience have been saying. I would probably give it closer to a seven than a six, personally. Um, and so yeah, we're just gonna c- kind of dive into how we feel about it and the issues and the good things that that we enjoyed about it. So right away, um, I love the 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 opening of the movie where it has a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and then it keeps the blue lettering but it doesn't do the crawl doesn't do the crawl but it keeps the blue red lettering and says like this is this is a lawless time and yeah. then it, it pans down and i i like that a little bit more than the cold open we got in rogue one if i'm being perfectly honest i agree um and i thought it was really cool and i knew pretty much right away as well that i was going to really enjoy Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo. Yeah. Um, the whole scene with him and using the fake grenade, like it was all just really Han Solo-y and really funny to me. And so what were your first impressions of Alden Ehrenreich as Han Solo and kind of the vibe the movie tries to set up in the beginning? I mean, it's so hard to match the charisma of young Harrison Ford. Yeah. Uh, but I thought Ehrenreich did an incredible job. Uh, I mean, he... <laughs> From the second that they announced this movie, there was instantly uh, fanboys and and Twitter boys, mm. uh, you know, trying to do their own fan casting, and so he was in an unenviable situation, you know, just whatever decision that they decide, like that they come to, people are going to have a problem with. Sure. And so I heard some negative things when he was cast, but I was honestly uh, pleasantly surprised with. Just you mentioned the fake grenade scene. Uh, it one was, of my favorites in the movie, probably. If <laughs> it was one of the you know it was, it perfectly summed up Han Solo. Uh, yeah. And that was yeah that was an incredible scene. Yeah, and I I think my favorite part about his performance as a whole is that he's never it never feels like he's trying to do a Harrison Ford impression you no know, it, yeah yeah it feels like he is he is just trying to be han solo not harrison ford which is something i was honestly worried about how are they going to find that balance um of a new interpretation of the character you know yeah instead and, of it being harrison ford and it's and it's a younger han solo so he can you know he can come across a little different you know the what does this movie take place 10 years before yeah. a new hope yeah. So, you know, you've got a significantly younger Han. And one of the things that I noticed uh, pretty pretty early on was just the amount of time that 
he spent grinning like a like a yeah. cocky grin mm-hmm. compared to Harrison Ford's Han Solo, like you know, a younger man, a younger cockier man. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was a nice touch. I really appreciated that. Yeah, and we also get introduced to the love interest of the film. Um, I have personally not seen Game of Thrones, so I cannot attest to Amelia Clark's uh, performances in those movies. Um, but I also think she is charming as all get out in this movie. Um, I really buy her and Han's dynamic together. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy this the opening scene with them where he's like running through these alleyways and meets her in the middle kind of deal. And they have this really um, kind of adorable just little interaction before this adventure starts. Yeah. And, um, and I really grew to love Amelia Clark. In this, in this role as a movie goes on, obviously there are twists and turns that um, you may have yeah. been for or not for um, in yeah. the movie. Uh, but how would you feel about Han not having Leia as a love interest? Like, did it work for you that they had somebody else or did it kind of not? It's funny that you mention it. That was one of the things I, I thought about, you know, like, oh, this is weird that he has a love interest that, you know, is not Leia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, knowing how things end up in the the original trilogy, you obviously know that something happens <laughs> to yeah. drive them apart. But I honestly didn't mind. You know, I thought it was believable. I thought it was, uh, I thought they did have chemistry and um, the story is propelled by their, their relationship. Uh, and so I thought it fit. And, and I love Amelia Clark. I think she's, um, yeah, she's been. Did good. you did you get to see uh, Last Christmas? <laughs> I didn't, but I feel like that movie's probably going to end up on uh, another podcast for fairly bad movies. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was as bad as a lot of people said, but um, yeah, I, I agree. I bought their relationship pretty much from the start, and after he does the fake grenade thing, um, we get this really really cool, well done chase scene. Um, in, yeah. in the speeder, which I think is is a really cool little like couple minutes of the movie um, when he tries he flips it sideways and they have to try to go through and he doesn't quite make it all the way there but he has the confidence you know that he's going to do it and yeah. and ultimately it leads to uh, the separation of the two of them which personally I was not really expecting um, no, I kind of figured they'd be together the whole time um, but I don't know if you thought any different about that. No, I, I was expecting them to get through, you know, because they bribed the Imperial. Yeah, which I'll ask you about that Imperial, uh, another Imperial guy in a second. But. Yeah, I thought they were going to get through and I thought they were going to spend the movie together and it was going to be, you know, I honestly at the beginning, I thought, you know, they would go on this quest together and she would yeah. she would die, uh, which is not what happened. No, you know, no. Separated, so that was a welcome change up. Yeah, so kind of after they get separated, um, there's a moment, I really want to know how you feel about this, where Han Solo is going through the Imperial line, per se. Yeah. And the guy looks at him and asks him his name and whatever, and he's like, my name's Han. He's like, I don't have any people or whatever. And then this dude just gifts him his last name. Yeah, like the cool... Very Ray, very... (laughs) Spoilers for Rise of Skywalker, but very Ray Skywalker-esque. I think J.J. Abrams just watched this and was like, oh, I like that. 
and yeah. just ripped it off. When I when it happened in theaters, I kind of rolled my eyes. Like, yeah. oh, okay, that's how he got his name, whatever. Um, <laughs> and I know a lot of people have stronger opinions on it one way or the other, but that's kind of the beauty of this podcast. We, It's not a hot or cold thing. Yeah. Um, I just kind of rolled my eyes and went along with it, like, whatever. Um, <laughs> but there's a recently, there's been a Kylo Ren comic book that's been going on, and there's this really cool interaction with him and Snoke where Snoke's talking to him about his parents or whatever, and Kylo lashes out and said, Solo's not even my real name. Oh. Like, it was given to him by somebody else. And it's a very cool moment in the comic okay, that yeah. has kind of made me feel different about it now. But in the moment in the movie, I was like, oh, it's kind of rolled my eyes. It's kind of cringy or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how would you feel about the, uh, the, the name gifting, I guess? <laughs> I... I did roll my eyes a little bit, but I didn't like allow myself to linger on it. Yeah, I feel like if, I feel like if I would have been in the theater, was there like an audible like moan during that part, or was it just kind of like a chuckle? No, it, there wasn't really much of anything really reaction-wise from the crowd. I, um, I think we had gotten kind of used to Disney Star Wars kind of doing these kind of things by this yeah, point. Yeah. <laughs> um, I could think of more examples maybe later, but uh, the Darth Vader scene in Rogue One in the middle where he's like, choke on your aspirations, director. Yeah. That, that whole thing, that that pun there. Um, so Disney Star Wars had done things like this before, that's so true. I don't think anyone was like audibly moaning or like, man, that's really bogus. I think it was just kind of oh, eye roll, fan service, move on kind of deal. Yeah. And then I think personally... I don't know if this is my favorite scene in the movie or not, but it's close. Um, we get to see Star Wars be like a war for a minute. Yeah. Um, Han Solo is in the Imperial Army, and he is in the trenches pretty much um, fighting a real war in Star Wars, which we haven't really, really seen up close and personal. We've seen um, the geopolitical stuff. That comes yeah. <laughs> yes, we have seen plenty of that. Senate um, meetings. And... Yeah. But we haven't seen the, the nitty-gritty of war. And yeah. we got to see... Some of that in Rogue One, obviously on the beach, and then even more so here um, in this, I'm going to say dark a lot because of the color grading in this movie is a little off, but in yeah. a very, it's very dark, it's very, you can't see much of what's going on, but that kind of, in this moment, kind of adds to the war thing, like you don't really know what's going on, like that kind of thing. And we get our first look at Woody Harrelson's character, gunslinging out there and, and all that kind of stuff. And so after... That battle scene ensues. He meets up with his team, and you know they they have a mission. They're gonna go go off and go on this grand adventure, and it doesn't go particularly how Han wanted it to. He tried to charm his way into the group as he does with everything else, and then he gets thrown into a pit where he meets Chewbacca. So, kind of, where were you at at this point in the movie of enjoyment level of engagement? He meets the group he's gonna spend a lot of the a lot of the movie with, and then when he meets Chewbacca, like where were you at with all that? So the there's one like little line that I like like piqued my interest when I was watching huh. through that section. It's when he goes to talk to Woody Harrelson's character, Tobias mm-hmm. Beckett, yep. and uh, he says um, he basically asks like what what company are you with or what group are you with and he says, just get lost, kid. And he's like, well, I noticed that you have laser holes in your 
uh, in your. Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I notice you have laser holes in your clothes, so either you heal really fast or you stole them off of a dead body. And yeah. it was like, all right, Han, like way yeah. to be observant. Sort of, so, yeah. like, that was super cool. And then Willie Harrelson, uh, his character flips it on him real quick, and and so uh, it's it's typical Han Solo fashion, like be observant, be clever, but it, your big mouth ultimately gets you <laughs> gets yeah. you in trouble. So um, when they drop them down into uh, the pit with Chewie. Yep. They, I think they just call him the monster or yeah. beast or something. Um, I had no clue what it was going to be, and I then, then I had like an aha moment right as like right like two seconds before Chewie came on screen. Uh, and I, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't know what you thought about it, but I thought that that was a pretty cool. Um, I don't know, pretty cool origin story for their relationship. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really know in the moment that that's where he was going to meet. Chewy, um, there's obviously the cool banter between the stormtroopers while they're watching him. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that was. Um, awesome. But then we meet him, and then I think I don't know. I think people have felt negative about this moment. I personally kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. It's when he starts speaking Wookie t- t- to Chewbacca to get them out of the situation. Um, I yeah. thought that was really funny and really well done. And again, Aaron Wright kind of pulled that off. I think. Yeah, it would have taken a very special person to pull that. I mean, and and you look through the cast, like the people that they considered for that part, uh, aside from Ehrenreich, and I don't know that any of them could have pulled that scene off in particular, yep. like speaking Wookiee, so. Yeah, that was really cool. And so they end up getting with this group and going on this adventure, and we need a ship, right? So... Yeah. We end up where we get to meet Donald Glover's Lando Calrissian, yeah. and it's a very cool scene, but my biggest issue with this movie is pretty much wrapped up in this one scene, and it's the fact that I can't see anything in this <laughs> in this cantina bit. Like, it's so dimly lit. Like, I don't... I That's don't, my like, problem with the first half of the movie. It's just yeah. so dark. And it's so dark. Needlessly dark. Yeah. Because <laughs> the movie's fun, and it's fun to watch. Yeah. And it could have been really fun to look at, too. But it was just super dark, and I don't understand really what they were thinking there. So how did you feel? Obviously, I think most people were most excited about Donald Glover being in a Star Wars movie. Obviously, that's really cool and really awesome. But I don't know if this is going to be a hot take or not. We try not to do hot takes on this podcast. Yeah. Um, but I felt like he was trying to be more like Billy D than Lando at times. I don't know if you felt that at all, um, but there was some things, some moments in, in the movie where I felt like, man, Lando's trying really hard to be Billy D. Williams and not Lando Calrissian. Um, I bought it for the most part, but there were just a couple moments where I was like, ah, that was a bit more like Billy D. than Lynn Lando. How did you feel about that? Yeah, so, I mean, I was, that was, you know, you mentioned most people were excited for that. Uh, that was the thing I was most excited for, you know, was to see Donald Glover Childish Gambino in one yeah. of the most, uh, like, one of the fan-favorite roles. It looks think, exactly like him, too. Yeah, and in his mannerisms, I think, I mean, I think Glover did a pretty good job of of getting the Lando character down. But there were a couple times where the way that he would say something would be more Billy D uh, mm-hmm. than Lando. And so there were a couple times it was like, 
uh, a little like soft soft cringe. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, I really, I mean, Donald Glover could do anything, and I would watch it, and I would find it charming. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I'm the best judge yeah. of. That's kind of where I'm at too, and I, I agree with you for the most part. I, I bought it. I thought he was great, um, but like you said, there are just a couple moments. But there were some things that Billy D did in the original trilogy that they decided to keep in this movie that I really enjoyed. Um, mm. Like he calls Han Han over and over again, and he, he corrects him on it like every time he says it, and it's just such a funny little joke. That comes from Billy D. Williams calling Han Solo Han in the original trilogy that made its way into this spinoff movie that is is just perfect. why these movies exist. Really. <laughs> yeah, it was a small little bit of fan service, but it was like it was the perfect amount of fan service. And I forgot to mention, too, before they go get the Falcon, um, they have this um, really cool... Um, fight on the train which is probably my favorite sequence in the whole movie which i don't even know how i skipped it um but it is a really riveting sequence the the design of the train is really cool yeah the 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 soundtrack to um the villain uh is incredible and it just all comes together in this really cool intense um heist on a train sequence that I thought was really, really cool. So how how'd you feel about that whole sequence on the train? Um, was it an engaging action set piece for you? Or were you kind of checked out by this point? Or are you still with it? No, no, no. This scene was awesome. Uh, you know, I, any any train high scene yeah. is immediately like high stakes and super engaging. So I, I loved every second of it. Uh, but, you know, the, even just the design of the train where it would yeah, go. It looks really cool. And it would flip onto its mm. side and and it was it was awesome uh and there were there were <laughs> there was a lot at stake for the characters yeah. i mean we lose two characters from beckett's crew in yeah that. probably my favorite character from his crew too the alien flying the ship that's voiced by john favreau was, john was pretty favreau. awesome oh yeah. yeah that that was the best character and instantly gone yeah and the, that whole sequence culminates in this huge explosion, which if you don't know how this explosion was done, it is really, really cool. So they took a 3D model and put it underwater and blew it up underwater. And they took that footage and put it into the, the live action shot. So it's a real explosion. Oh, shoot. But it's a it's one that they shot underwater and then put it into the movie. It's oh, super cool. I didn't cool. realize that. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's a practical explosion. Probably one of my favorite practical explosions. It's really cool to look at. It has a cool sound and everything. Um, and then after that, they go and um, meet up with Kira again on the ship on accident, on the uh, on the flying space yacht, I guess you could say. <laughs> and we meet probably besides Han, my favorite character in the movie. I think underrated. No one talks about it. Um, it's, it's our main, main antagonist. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Movie. I think Paul Bettany does yeah. such a good job as this villain um, who kind of is a, is a by the numbers, but every time he was on screen, I was afraid. Like, honestly, like, yeah, he was scared. What well, is cause of the, like the facial scars. Face. A really cool touch. I don't know who decided yeah. to come up with that idea, 
but it is a really cool little thing that when he gets intense, when he gets mad, that his face like reddens. Yes. With like lines down his face, I thought it was really cool. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. And so we get Kira back after this confrontation, and they have to go steal some more. I forget what it's called, what the what the metal's called specifically. Um, um, yes, Galaxium. Yep. Um, and so they they get the they go and get the Falcon and go on this adventure, and we get to see the Kessel Run. The Kessel Run. Which I didn't I didn't know how they were gonna do it yeah. in the movie. Yeah. And besides. I don't know why Disney Star Wars has this obsession with tentacles in their <laughs> Star Wars movies, but The Force Awakens had the Rathars who yep. had te- uh, tentacles. Rogue One had the Bogalit uh, <laughs> tentacle scene um, with Force Whitaker and the pilot. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then Solo has in the, in this Kessel Run sequence has more tentacles. A big space monster with tentacles. I don't know what Disney's Star Wars deal is with these tentacles. They're everywhere. Disney saw it work out for Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. And so and they're like, we space need to tentacles do it. are the new thing. Yeah. We, we need to do it. And I would say that's the only thing that takes away from the <laughs> Kessel Run for me. Yeah. I think I think it looks great. Um, yeah. I think Han's confidence and his line delivery in the sequence is particularly great. And that's one of the few times in the movie where it's not incredibly dark. Yeah, it's not incredibly dark. It looks really, really good. Like, the shots it, inside the cockpit, you know, with all yeah. the... Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. And just, like I said, with Han's um, lines in the sequence, you have the, oh, I've got a good feeling about this yeah. <laughs> type thing. That was really cool, I thought. And just his confidence of like, no, we're going to make it out. We're going to make it out the whole time is, was just very Han Solo-y for me. Yeah, and his confidence of uh, making it through there, I thought was I thought was really cool. But the tentacles kind of take away from it for me. I was like when I was watching in theaters, I was like more tentacles, like really we're Space doing tentacles. this. Yeah, they're back. So so what were your feelings about the Kessel Run? No, I thought it was cool. Uh, you know, they, <laughs> when they said you know, his it's one of the like the main lines in uh, the original trilogy that he. Yeah. He completes the Kessel Run in under 12 parsecs, and they even have a little joke at the end. He's like, I just ran the, you know, yeah. land on uh, whatever the planet is. He's like, I in just a thrilling ran. third act sequence, which I think is really, really well done. But yeah, we'll that I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it, you know, minus the minus the space tentacles. Um, and, and like I said, it was I really enjoyed the visuals for that that whole sequence, you know, the, the use of color, yeah, the use of, um, yeah, I, I kind of wish that just, just from an aesthetic standpoint, I kind of wish that mm-hmm. that's what the whole movie kind of looked like. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, know, you have the bright colors and the contrast, mm-hmm. but the first, the first half of the movie is just gray and black. Yeah. It was very gray and black. Yeah. So that was, I mean, that I wish, that that's what the whole movie would have been. So I, I love that sequence. I was wanting more of that. Yeah, and then um, we go down to actually get the coaxium. And I don't know. My dad mentions this to me a lot. He says that the Wookiees just look super weird in this sequence. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I don't understand what they were going for. or <laughs> It looks like see, Bigfoot. Did you ever see Land of the Lost? Yes. 
He yes, looks it like looks very Chaka. much like that. Yeah, <laughs> very much so. Yeah, it's, it's a great bad. comparison. I, and I don't really know why they looked like that. I don't know if they were just trying to distinguish everybody from what Chewie looked like or um, really what all that was about. Um, but I enjoyed the the coaxium um, thieve, the, the theft um, that takes place. Where they free the the Wookies and all that stuff. I thought I thought it was pretty cool. The the droid, um, L L three. Um, Phoebe Waller Bridge. Phoebe Waller Bridge. Shout out. Uh, it's not her fault that her droid's kind of weird. Um, her, her droid is so weird. So weird. I don't. The lines <laughs> she says in some of these like moments are just super weird. Where she um, has that whole side conversation about how Lando's in love with her and yeah, like, and how she's kind of into Lando a little bit, but it would like never work. It was the weirdest sequence in the whole movie. It's it very strange. I did, for the most part, enjoy her free the droids, um, droid was, droid yeah. rights kind of stuff. I know a lot of people are like SJW whatever, uh, I but I thought fun. I thought it was funny. Yeah, I thought it was pretty well done. But we click, we quickly lose L three, um, yeah. which, uh, which, this is my favorite moment from Donald Glover in the whole movie. Yeah, is when I'm pretty sure it's in one shot too, mm-hmm. where he runs to her to the droid through the chaos and, and it's just a yeah his. slides yeah it's just a really cool, heartbreaking too like he sells it. Yeah, um, maybe she was right. Maybe he was in love with her. Maybe, but we see a lot of people in Star Wars have really, really strong connections with these droids. That's so true. That's true. I, I don't know if she was just reading the situation wrong or, <laughs> or if, he, if he was actually in love with her. We'll never know. And then after that, after he brings the droid in, we get the iconic Han shooting out of the Falcons. Like, it looks exactly like Han Solo shooting out of the Falcon. Like yeah. how I remember it from A New Hope when the stormtroopers were coming in on the Falcon on, on the landing deck. It looked... Aaron Reich, it looks exactly the same. Like, yeah. It, it is Han Solo. And, and that was a really cool moment for me. Um, but they get the coaxium, Kelsen run, all that. So they have to take it somewhere. They have to take it back to Dryden Voss. And which, honestly, I think is an underrated third act of a movie. Yeah. I don't know how you feel about it. but that's... there was It was one twist right after the other yeah. uh, in that third act. So I, I enjoyed that part. And I kind of liked how we were seeing it with Han, kind mm-hmm. of like the innocence of every, of everything, who to trust, not to trust. Like we didn't know, like he didn't know really. Yeah. And so all these reveals kept coming and it was like, oh, I kind of saw that coming. But I think obviously with the Beckett one, Han saw that coming too. And, yeah. And there's just a lot there. I think seeing it through that Han Solo's eyes, I think really worked and it was really cool. And he even did a good job, you know, Beckett betrays him and he acts surprised but yeah. obviously he knew something was coming uh and so he flips it back on beckett and i, I thought that was incredible and i think the the i, I don't know if you were called like a knife chase in the room yeah um was really cool number one the knives the brass knuckle knives are really cool in general yep um i know they're probably not the most efficient star wars um weapon but they are very cool looking and when he's slicing and everything and yeah uh kira gets the final blow ultimately on him okay what'd you think about kira's like line so han's on the ground kira approaches him has like a sword in her hand yeah yeah like she's 
she takes it behind her back like she's getting ready to take out Han. And she says, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's kind of a corny line. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then she kills uh, Dryden behind her. I mean, I'm glad that she killed him, but it was it was one of those moments that is like, is that really like yeah. what you're going to say there? Yeah, and I, I, in the moment, I didn't know after she killed Dryden Voss, I assumed that Dryden was going to kill her. Yeah. And then Han was going to have to kill Dryden in return. Oh. Uh, but when when she killed him, I was like, okay, so where do we go from here? Because she's not in the story after this movie. Yeah, so what what's happening? But yeah. she didn't just die. And but so what I was like, where are we? so much cooler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. And so I was like, where, where are they going? And the, the reveal to that Edifice Nest, who has the coolest music. I don't know who decided to give her the best music in the movie, but it is it is really good stuff. And her mask is super cool. Awesome. Everything, she's a really cool character. I, I personally genuinely enjoyed the reveal that she's just a kid. Yeah, that and was crazy. Yeah, just like this, this Star Wars universe thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's messier, it's dirtier than maybe we might have might have guessed that kids are involved in, in this and trying to bring down the Empire and stuff like that. Um, and I, I enjoyed the reveal that, that the coaxium was actually back with Infus Nest and, and that and that whole that whole thing. That was awesome. And then Han meets Beckett on the beach and we get the face off and my dad, this is my dad's favorite moment in the movie, I think, mm. is Han shoots first without question. They went without so far. Without question. <laughs> they made, yeah, they made it a point to show you, like, yeah. hey, Han shot first. Yep. And didn't even let Beckett finish a sentence. Didn't, yeah. like, it was over. And Beckett, you know, was like, good job, kid, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and that was kind of the end of it. What did you think of that standoff? I thought it was cool. At first, I didn't really know what was happening, like what they were going to do. Sure. Uh, and the fact that, you know, the other iconic debate about Han Solo is, did Han shoot first? Yeah. And he did. I mean, it, he clearly did, even in the original. It's just been yeah. George Lucas tampering with it over the years. Yeah. And it was just such a cool homage to the original. You know, it was... Uh, I thought that was really cool. So... And then we kind of get the ending of the movie, which I think is really cool. When Han plays the game again with Lando, and he yes. knows that Lando's cheating. And he knows Lando's cheating because he thinks there's no way I could have lost, which is very Han Solo as yeah. well. <laughs> like, his confidence in him cheating was, no one could be better at me than in this game than, yeah. than you know? Yeah, and yeah. So, and so he pulls one out from under Lando, gets the Falcon back. And then that's kind of it. That's kind of the end. Um, I feel like we you, talked. Uh, all... Hold on. We, uh, we skipped over the Kira scene. So oh. after, after Kira kills yeah. Raiden, this is yeah. like, a huge scene. One, yeah. one of the craziest scenes in the movie, which never thought I'd see it. No, never. So uh, Kira goes to, after she kills Dryden, Han runs off. She goes to, I guess, Star Wars Skype uh, yeah. someone. And, someone. And we don't know who it is. It's a person sitting down with a hood over, and and they start talking about, um, you know, she says Dryden was killed by the man that he uh, contracted to do it and tells yep. 
and that it's Tobias Beckett, which she's still protecting Han. She uh, is, yeah. Which is cool, but uh, as as the person stands up, he he tells her, you know, you need to come see me. We'll we'll work. We're going to be working very closely from yeah. this point on. And at that point, he removes the hood and reveals yeah. that it's Darth Maul. Darth freaking Maul. And as some, do you watch the animated stuff? I've watched it over the years, yeah. So as someone who knew that Darth Maul was still alive, um, this I never thought I would see it in live action Star Wars no. again. <laughs> I, I figured they would just keep him in the animated stuff. It's like, oh, cool, if you know about the animated stuff and you know that he's alive... But actually, he's dead now. But knew that he was alive at this time. Yeah. Uh, that's just a cool little detail, not something that they'll bring to the big screen. But then they did it. And that was incredible. For the people who didn't watch the animated stuff, I'm sure people are like, what on earth? Like, how is he still alive? Why is he still alive? That kind of stuff. But as someone who kind of knows that story and knows how he's been alive and what he's been doing, um, it was cool just to be rewarded for me watching all those shows growing up as a kid, like knowing that you know, Darth Maul was alive. Well, and even they they do throw a bone to the people who don't watch those shows. You know, as he's yeah. standing up, you you see that they're visibly like robotic legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they do throw a little bit of a bone, but it was I I didn't think coming into this movie that I would get a Darth Maul cameo, uh, yeah. and I was stoked. I I yeah. couldn't I couldn't believe it. I still get excited just thinking about it. My favorite part about it is. I never thought they'd do this either. The guy who voiced him is the same guy who voiced Darth Maul in all the animated shows. Yeah. And, and so the, I thought that was really cool. And the guy who was like the actor that portrayed him was the one who portrayed him in the original yeah. movie. So it's just really cool. Yeah. Two, two, a convergence of two. Awesome. I didn't think, I think they just did this because every star Wars movie up until now had had a lightsaber in it. <laughs> And I don't think he needed to ignite his lightsaber to get his point across. No, he didn't, but I'll take it. But yeah, I was here for it, but I was like, was this necessary for the Skype call? Like, I don't... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so that's kind of the movie. As you can probably sense, we, we have generally positive things to say about it. Yeah. Um, but if you had to pick out some negatives, we talked about some. Um, but if you had to pick out some negatives, some things that make this movie... Um, kind of average at the end of the day. What what would those be? What are some of your issues with it? Uh, for me, you know, I've talked about just the general darkness of. I mean, I'm not talking about like in content matter. I'm talking about just visually dark. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was kind of hard. The first thirty to forty minutes were a little slow. The movie's a little long. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's like, what? It's a solid. Two two hours and fifteen minutes is what yeah. I think I got here. I, I think it would have been a little better if it was, like, closer to the two-hour mark. Yeah. It just eliminates a little bit of the pacing issues. Sure. Um, but overall, I thought the cast was good. Uh, and considering how much chaos surrounded the movie in yeah. terms of production and yeah. marketing and the uh, initial box office flop, like... I I thought this movie was going to be a mess um, yeah. all the way around. O- overall, it was an enjoyable movie. Um, yeah. I think <laughs> when you compare it to Rogue One, 
mm-hmm. you know, which are, they're both anthology, they're both uh, in the Star Wars universe. They're they both had production issues. Yeah. Uh, I think Rogue One ended up being a much better movie, uh, okay. but I still thought that Solo was fun. What was uh, what was your what were your, the negatives that you found? Yeah, off the top, I just want to say it's amazing. It is as coherent and um, just as as good as it is. Like it's honestly kind of a miracle. Yeah. Um. So shout out to Ron Howard for doing what he could. Shout out to the screenwriters for putting something on the screen that's inoffensive, that's fun to watch. Yeah. Um, and that's not awful. Yeah. Um. My negatives, again, I agree with you completely on the lighting. Um, it's too dark in a lot of the moments, um, especially the one that comes to mind the most for me is the Cantina meeting Lando sequence. Yeah. Uh, I literally could not see a thing that was happening. I needed <laughs> the brightness just turned up. Uh, yeah. It's not even like a color grading issue. Like literally just make it brighter. Like just Yeah, it's it not brighter. that hard. Yeah. Um, other than that... Um, L3 for me was a little distracting in parts. Um, I love Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Uh, I love the droid's introduction. But again, we talked about the weird stuff earlier. She's just a little weird. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it was funny. And sometimes it just didn't land right with me. Yeah. And with Lando, uh, I thought Lando was really good. I thought Don Grover did a great job. But there were moments where it felt like he was trying to be more like Billy D than Lando. Um, other issues, the tentacle in the Kessel Run, the tentacle scene in the Kessel Run still bugs me. <laughs> I wish it wasn't there. I don't know why it was needed. The stakes were high enough already. Um, other smaller issues. Um, I mean, I didn't think there was anything really wrong with Alden Aaron Reich's performance. I thought uh, maybe there were a few lines, like you were saying, in the one uh, in kind of like the room with Dryden Voss, there was some cheesy dialogue maybe there. Uh, but I thought Aaron Reich did a great job overall. Um, other than that, though, I mean, there's nothing like hugely offensive. Um, the solo name maybe might be a negative for me. Um, but for me, the, the positives still outweigh the negatives on this one for me. Yeah. Um, and I kind of disagree with you a little bit. I think I like it more than Rogue One, only okay. because... I think Rogue One's really good for half an hour. And that's fair. The rest of it is kind of incoherent and it just kind of jumps all over the place. But the, the 30 minutes are incredible. But for Solo, I felt like from start to finish is a little bit more coherent, a little bit more um, of a complete story that's easy to follow from point A all the way to point B. Um, but yeah, that's kind of really all the only negatives I have with it, the color grading thing is a big issue, but I think I agree with Richard Roper. The sometimes, you know, it's super entertaining, but it's not particularly deep. That would probably be yeah, uh, a review for me on it. So where would you rank uh, solo star Wars story in, in the star Wars canon, I guess. Okay. So, you know, just based off of our conversation, I can tell I'm going to have it a little lower. Yeah, uh, sure. In my ranking. Um, I still don't, have it very high, by the way. It's just so, it's just lower than. Are there than are there eleven totals? Eleven total. Eleven total. I would probably have it, uh, in like the seven, eight, nine range. That's about where I have it too. Okay. But 
But I would, I think our differences, I would have Rogue One a little higher. Yeah. So I've got Empire Strikes Back at one, yep. uh, New Hope at two, Star Wars The Last Jedi at number three, yes. number four, Force Awakens at number four, Return of the Jedi at number six. And I think I'm going to make a flip right here on, this, on the show, on the first pod, in my Star Wars rankings. Okay. I'm going to go Solo 6, and then Rogue One 8, The Rise of Skywalker 9. Wow, you really didn't like that movie. I, I have so many issues. Uh, <laughs> Maybe for a few later. Yeah. Um, I originally had it at 6, and I just bumped it down two spots. Um and then Phantom Menace at nine, or yeah, eight. so Rise of Skywalker would be at eight, and then Phantom Menace at nine, Revenge of the Sith at ten, and Attack of the Clones at eleven. So I have Solo at six, seven-ish range. I by the time we do our Rise of Skywalker pod, I need to have Let's my my eleven figured out. Okay, so the Rise of Skywalker has an average score of 2.9 out of 5 on the letterbox. Oh my goodness. So that might be one we could do in a future on a future episode. Oh, absolutely. Uh, see, that's kind of where I have it. I think Solo is perfectly a fine inoffensive. Uh, my again, another issue I would put is with it is that it doesn't take a lot of risks. It's very safe. Yep. Um, nothing crazy to change the genre or to push the story forward. The Darth Maul thing's cool. Um, yeah. But doesn't do too much to um, try to stretch the story or try to do something different like the last year that I did or anything like that. And I don't, um, I don't know if I would want the full Lego movie version of this movie. I mean, I would like to see it. I would be interested to see what it would be like. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I think Solo is perfectly fine. Um, I yeah. think it's a good I, – I tell people all the time, it's a good little space movie. Yeah. And I wish I wish I could mean that because it costs three hundred million dollars to make. <laughs> and so it's not really a good little space movie. It's a huge space movie that just feels really little. Yeah. Which is kind of the unfortunate truth. Yeah. All right. Well, we've kind of gone over from start to finish all about solo a Star Wars story, um, and why it's perfectly average and why we kinda like it, I think. Austin, yeah. would would you, if you were to give the movie a, a out of, we'll go out of five like Letterbox. Um, okay. If you were to give it out of five, what would you what would you give it? So the Letterbox score is a three point one. I think yeah. that's a little harsh. Sure. Uh, I would go more in the three five to three seven range. Yeah. I think probably three five. I think that's what I'll go with. What about you? Yeah, I, um, my Letterbox score is a three and a half. Okay. Uh, out of five for this. And I feel pretty confident in that. And I think if you can read through the lines of what I've been saying this whole pod, I think that's where you would think I sit with it. Yeah. Um, three and a half is very, again, very respectable. And if that's all they were trying to do, I'm satisfied. Yeah. Again, I, I wish that this movie didn't cost $275 million to make. Um, <laughs> like I said at the beginning, if it only cost $50 million, like this would be a slam dunk and I think would change the way a lot of the people look at Disney Star Wars too. And, and sadly, I think you know the general flop of this movie, the fact that they spent so much, that they lost so much on this movie, it yeah. really, I think, at least for a while, is going to prevent us from getting more Star Wars stories like this. Yeah. Um, but I think that will, 
given the success of uh, The Mandalorian, I think, I mean, we're already confirmed to get a couple more. I think we might see Disney go um, the the series route for more of their anthology stuff. Yeah, I agree. I don't think we're going to get a ton of anthology movies anymore. No, but I'm it, I they did leave um, one of the things that was intentional with Ron Howard. He decided to leave this open ended for yep. potential sequels, uh, for a potential spinoff series. So uh, hopefully we haven't seen the last of Aaron Reich and. Yeah, I would love to see this cast back yeah. in some way, shape, or form. I don't, if that's on a Disney Plus series, if I don't, I don't really care. Like I would just love to see this cast back yeah. together um, in in some way, shape, or form. At least, at least Aaron Reich and um, Glover back together, I think would be would be great in any capacity. Because I think, even though it did flop, I mean, I think that the the people who did watch it would probably give it a decent review and would be like, yeah, I wouldn't mind more of that or more that kind of thing. Um, just turn the lights on, please. Yeah. Just because the movie didn't make a ton of money doesn't mean it's horrible. Like yeah. it's a horrible movie or anything. So Sorry. hope to see these characters again. I think you're spot on. I think a lot of the anthology stuff will be on Disney plus now instead of on the big screen, um, which is fine. Um, I'd love to see these characters again and see where they could take the Han Solo character. Um, but for now, we're gonna leave. We're gonna leave it how it is um, with Solo, a Star Wars story. I think we pretty much covered it from front to back, um, front beginning to end, all the drama, the money, and how we felt about it. Austin, do you have any final final remarks on the movie or anything else? Uh, I just, I, I want to reiterate. You know, I thought that this movie was gonna stink, and yeah. I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, uh, when you set your expectations low, you know, it's it's hard to get so. Through. If if uh, if critics are ever crapping on a movie uh, of this magnitude, it, it's at least worth a shot uh, yeah. because I expected this to you know to probably be in the one and a half two range with how people were talking about it. So yeah. for for me to end up at three and a half, I'll take it. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. Uh, well, awesome. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you hopefully next week with a new movie to talk about. And yeah, it'll be great. Thanks for listening to the first episode of Perfectly Average, the perfect podcast about perfectly average movies, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. See you next week.